The Bazaar is an explicit radio program, listener discretion is advised. Welcome! Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to episode 33 <laughs> Episode 33 of The Bizarre, the internet's favourite horror chat show Or at least my favourite horror chat show And today's guest I have with me, Jude Walco With his new movie we're going to talk about The Incantation, which will be coming out later this year But I... Got a little sneak peek beforehand. It's an excellent little movie, but before I chatted to him, I didn't get to see it, but now I have. So, Jude, if you're listening, fantastic film. Great credit where it's due there. It's very, very good. Uh, little slow burning, guys, but it is indeed a horror movie at heart where it should be for this kind of show. And thank you to all the new listeners who've tuned in over the last few weeks. Glad to have you on board. And yeah, I guess everyone now is going to be waiting for my chat with Jude. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome back to the show. I have with me Jude. He's coming all the, phoning all the way in from Bangkok today. It's an absolute pleasure for him to be here. But uh, Jude, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm over here in uh, sunny Bangkok. It's uh, in the afternoon here. So welcome to all you guys on the other side of the world. I'm, I'm so honored to be on your uh, show. I really appreciate it. Excellent stuff. Well, Jude, I ask everyone this question, but we want to know a little bit of background about what you're all about. Who is Jude Walco? Sure, sure. Well, I uh, the long and short of that is I, uh, I'm an American. I grew up in Georgia, the state of Georgia, not the Georgia and Russia. Um, and uh, after a while, I moved to Bangkok. My, my professional world... Um, you know, I started acting in the industry when I was young, when I was in college. And, uh, I, you know, when you're young, everyone always wants to be an actor. That's just the way it tends to be in the industry. Um, and eventually I started producing and, and made my way all the way up the producing tree, going from, you know, assistant coordinator all the way up to executive producer. And I did that for many a year. Um, and, and over the course of probably, you know, well over 20 years, uh, I've built an extensive resume in the film business, but working on other people's, you know, visions and dreams and all that. And that's great. It's a great field. I'm, I'm very happy with what I do. I'm very blessed to do what I do. And I, I love it. And I still do all those things. But, you know, I'm a very creative person, obviously being an actor. And, and I'm always, I've always written stuff. I've written, wrote seven scripts and I've written poetry and prose and I'm big on literature and all that kind of stuff. So I've always had stories to tell. Um, but I never had the means to tell them because I was always working for someone else. So um, it, it eventually came to the point where, you know, I've I've made a career out of it. 
and uh, I've done quite well for myself as a producer and and an actor and all that stuff. But I wanted to finally write and direct my own piece. Um, And that's kind of where this, this, I sort of grabbed the bull by the horns and said, you know, no one's going to give me that because everyone always says, you know, you're a first time director. What have you directed? And it's a catch 22 because no one's going to give you a job, but you have nothing to show them. But, but on other movies, for example, I had directed because a lot of times we do what we call ghost directing where, the director will take off for two days and and i'll have to run the ship right. or or you know or second unit directing or whatever so and and more so because i've been on over 100 film sets in my lifetime i had the knowledge and experience the first-hand experience on sets and each one's a learning experience right just like any other career just like when you're a sous chef and you and you burn the marinara sauce you learn from that the same on a movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's the same on a movie set there's every time you do something that's new you have to learn how to do it and you learn from the professionals and hopefully you're paying attention and respecting those people that have been doing it 20 years before you etc so i had the knowledge base and i had the experience um i just never had the opportunity and this the incantation was that opportunity that sort of all lined up together um a lot of luck involved, a lot of hard work involved, and and I'd say the film gods kind of all came together to make it happen. Super. No, that uh, seems like a, there's a lot to get at there, so I'm gonna have to <laughs> reel it reel it back yeah. a little bit and probe because <laughs> sure. um, we can get to the movie now in a bit. I know you're you're chomping at the bit to talk about it, but I <laughs> sure. want to know. I talked to a lot of uh, indie film producers on this show primarily, yes. and yes. I always wonder sort of what is the genesis that you make the leap over into making your movie in the end i know you're saying you're creative but uh-huh. you're being mm-hmm. a producer for 20 years what took the 20 years yeah. or when did you decide to jump over and get behind the camera i guess i guess to put it in the politest way it, it's the constant <laughs> um bludgeoning and what i mean by that is when when you work so when anyone works on a project in our industry it's 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 hands down the most competitive industry there is in my opinion even even if i'm going against doctors and lawyers and whatnot i would say it's extremely competitive that being said when you're in in our business in order to to survive you have to do your best in everything you do what that means is you're working extreme hours you're never sleeping you know it's it's one of those blood sweat and tears things and at some point when you do that for years and years and years and years and you never get credit for that, you never, I mean, you do somewhat, of course you get your name in the credits, but I mean, you never get, you never get your due for the amount of, of work that you've put into it. And no one sees you as an artist, even though everything you've done, you've put your, your creativeness, your artistry, your intelligence, your work ethic, you put all that stuff in there, but you don't get recognized for that. And, and for me, it was just like, you know, at one after another, after another, after another, sometimes working with directors who I considered fairly incompetent in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, which means it's, it's really hard to watch, to put all your effort into it, watch a show become successful, get praised, and then with, but, but you're sort of sitting, you know, you're, you're sitting in the wings while Cinderella is dancing and, and, and you're like, man, I could, re- I could do that. I want my time to shine. You know, you're, you're like, it's like when, when in theater, when they have the, the main people on front and then when one gets 
sick the understudy gets their chance to shine yeah. so i've essentially been the understudy for 20 plus years and never had my chance so i guess i on that coupled with just me self-affirming that hey you know again no one's going to give you this opportunity you have to make it happen so finally something just just snapped inside of me and i said no i have to do this i have to I have to do whatever it takes to make my own film, um, and and whether it fails or it is successful doesn't matter. The point is, I have to do this achievement. I have to get it in the can. I have to I have to prove myself not only to myself but to everyone else. Not only to everyone else, but most importantly to myself. I would say. Excellent. And I know on that sentiment, obviously the movie did get made, and we're here to talk about it today. <laughs> but was yes. there any point instead of snapping one way or the other? You know, would you have said, "Oh fuck yes. this, I'm sick of this"? Was there ever any stage along the way that you were close to just throwing in your towel? Yeah, I, I think I think I probably was, and I think that's that's what did it, and the timing was good because. The way the whole thing happened, which we'll get to later on, is is pretty interesting of how it of of how mainly the location, which is a castle in France, fell into my lap, sort of through several other coincidences, and that that sort of you know carrot was dangled in front of me, so that would be the linchpin that made me go, hey, you know what? There's a carrot. This is this might be my only chance to ever prove myself. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to take everything I got. It's going to, it's going to, you know, deplete me financially, emotionally, physically, all of the above, but here it is. So I got to do it. And I did it. So I think it was a combination of timing and me just sort of feeling that the industry, I had done everything that there was to do in the industry at the level that I was at at that time. Yeah. And, and this opportunity presenting itself kind of simultaneously that made it happen. Excellent. No, that, um, it's a great answer. I'd probably do the same. Uh, the sentiments <laughs> of, you know, everyone doesn't get credit by the director these days. You know, everyone talks about the movies about, oh, yeah, yes. that was directed by X, Y, and Z, and that was fantastic. But you stay and watch the yeah. credits, and there's probably 100,000 people <laughs> like, involved in the movie. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I can exactly. see how you could kind of get pissed off and want to do it yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep, So. For sure. The movie you ended up producing and directing was The Incantation. So, for those yes. in the audience who are wondering and want to know about The Incantation, what is that about? Firstly, give us a little teaser of what we could expect. Okay, well, it's. Uh, are you familiar with the Hammer films of, of the 70s? Are you asking me or are you asking the audience? Yeah. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, so, I'm so... familiar with them. Okay, great. So I, I, uh, I'll just say that I, I really enjoyed Hammer films. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure. I know they're sort of schlocky, and the blood is like always like melted pink wax and all that. But there's a there's a certain formula in Hammer films, being that, um, you know, the location is the predominant character in the story because because Hammer had a castle, so they filmed everything in this castle, and then they go out and shoot in the town. So there's always a castle. There's Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. There's a damsel in distress, and then there's a there's a protagonist. So that's kind of, you know, that had a heavy influence on me as well as a lot of horror of the '70s because I'm 46. So I was, you know, uh, in the in the '80s I was a teenager. So 
I was influenced by the original Amityville, The Exorcist, The Car, uh, Rosemary's Baby, movies like that. So um, long story short, my film takes a little bit of all those things, pays a little bit of homage. Definitely The Shining is in there a bit. Um, but the story is about... Uh, the premise of the story is that there's an American girl who's played by Sam Valentine, a wonderful young actress. And she's Sam Valentine. Uh, Sam Valentine plays Lucy Bella Rose, who's an American uh, from California. She gets an invitation to her great uncle's funeral in France. So, of course, and she's, you know, she's a little bit, let's say, either upper middle class or, or lower upper class. She's, you know, not, she's doing fine with money and she comes from a wealth, wealthy background. So of course she's going to take a trip to France. So she takes a trip to France. Turns out she's got to stay in this ominous, creepy castle, um, uh, in the middle of nowhere in South of France. Um, so when she gets there, she starts to learn a little bit about her family history. Uh, and, and in doing so there's a lot of reference to, witchcraft in the area um like the valley witch trials and there's mention of countess bathory and and the deeper she gets into the folklore of the area the more she finds out that things may not be as they seem on the surface so it's a definitely a fish out of water story um it's a little there's there's a, a very strong arc with her character because when she, when you first meet her she's uh you don't really like her when you first meet her. She's kind of stuck up and snobby and prissy and, and all that. But as the, as the movie goes on, you start to realize that she is not just one dimensional. She has, she has multiple layers. She's quite an interesting person and you start to feel for her like you should with any good um, protagonist. And, and the stories about her journey in this creepy castle, fish out of water, middle of nowhere and, and the supernatural things that start to happen to her and, and why they happen to her. Right. And I do have a few questions on it now, and that's obviously why we're speaking today. Um, <laughs> yes. So you're an American living in Bangkok, but you've shot in France in this lovely castle. <laughs> how, yes. How did you come about the castle? Perfect. Glad you asked. Um, so I did a film called Siren in uh, Savannah, Georgia. So uh, I'm based in, in Bangkok, of course, but you know, like I said, I, I put a couple decades of work in. So nowadays with internet and everything, you build your reputation and your resume on word of mouth. So I was asked to do a film in Savannah, Georgia, um, in the United States. So we shot a film called Siren that was written by David Bruckner, uh, produced by David Bruckner. He's a, the VHS guy. He just did the ritual that just came out on Netflix, uh, directed by Greg Bishop. So we're making that film in Savannah, Georgia. And I, I have an intern um, in the art department, this young guy named Connor Sullivan. And I, I'm reticent about using interns on films for lots of reasons, but uh, he really wanted to do it. So I, I reached out to his mother and I said, hey, I could do this, but you have to sort of supervise and I, I can't take advantage of him. I can't technically employ him, blah, 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 the whole thing. She said, fine, fine, fine. But, and she said, by the way, do you need anything else for your film? Because, uh, you know, we could probably help you out. And at that time, I needed a location. Yeah. Short of that is we shot in uh, one of her houses in Savannah, and there were pictures of the castle everywhere. So right. I said, why do you have pictures of a castle in your house? Like, are you just 
crazy gothic people that's cool too <laughs> and she said no actually she said no we we own that castle and i said what you own a castle and she said actually it's it's one of the castles we own and i was what? like what what are you talking about this is what? ridiculous so turns out uh her and her husband her husband is a a irish noble he's their, a vampire their last name. <laughs> well i that's possible <laughs> their last name is sullivan um and uh, they, he is a count uh, of Nockgraffin, I believe. You would know better than me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's part of that lineage, and he is, he is uh, thus, you know, has a royal lineage and has two castles, one in France and and then the one in Ireland, and then several homes throughout uh, throughout the world. So super nice people. I, I found out this whole thing about them being royals and and their lifestyle and all this stuff, and it and I became great friends with them. So at one point I just asked him, I said, man, you know what? I would love to film in your castle. I mean, that's just too crazy that you, I know someone that owns a castle. When does that ever happen in real life? So I just asked them, I said, can I film in your castle? And they said, you know what? Yeah, we'd love that. That's amazing. So, yeah, isn't it? It's crazy. So, so basically that was a year before we even started production. So even at that point, it was just like, yeah, whatever. That's never going to happen, you know. But I, I really latched on to this idea that this is possible. This, this is plausible that this could happen. So I asked them for a pic- pictures. They sent me a, a thousand pictures. They had a huge database. Uh, I, I started writing a script based on the the pictures I had. I hadn't seen the place. There was not any, hardly any information online about it, so I had no idea what kind of it was i had i'd only been to paris one day in my life i hadn't been to france uh rural france so i didn't really know what to get expect there so i wrote the script um and that's how it started and then a year later they were still down to help us they loved the script um the timing started to to, to work out and uh and I'm, me and my producing partner dan campbell who, at blue falcon productions you know basically maxed our credit cards out saved all our money uh, put put a solid year away of where we were just going to dedicate ourselves to this feature film, and we ended up going to France and and shooting it. And that was that was just the that was the first thing that kind of set this <laughs> the wheels in motion for this uh, extraordinary event that happened. Unreal! That's an amazing story. But <laughs> yeah, you were saying there you were stuck for a location, and then you found a castle, and then you started writing the <laughs> script, right? So, well, no, did you no, have an idea? So, sorry. No, we were sorry. We were stuck for a location for another for the other film, Siren. Oh, uh, I in, get you. Jo- in Georgia, and we shot in her house. And then I saw the picture of the castle in her house. Oh, sorry. And then, yes. And then I wrote the script based on uh, the pictures I had of the castle. But yeah, it was it was pretty insane. Yeah. Now that I look back on it, <laughs> right? That is actually quite good. Like that's amazing. Was the surrounding countryside yeah. and everything just beautiful? I'd say it was. Oh, in France, yeah. God. You know, it's so it's so great that I say uh, you really can't go wrong shooting a film in France. It's so beautiful. Everywhere you look is like a postcard because it's just green everywhere. At that time, I think we shot it in 2016, I believe, and it was when when the uh, rivers were flooding again. So the result of that was everything was green yes, everywhere. Yeah. So it was really, really beautiful. Um, and just as anyone who's been to France knows, anywhere in Europe, just the architecture is amazing, especially for the American sensibility. We're not used to that because 
the oldest thing we have is 200 or 250 years old, you know, yeah. not a thousand years old. So, or 2000 years or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, really, you know, and, and credit to our DP Derek street. I mean, just between good cinematography and beautiful locations that alone, you could watch it on mute just to, cause it's so beautiful. So yes. beautifully shot. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does look <laughs> gorgeous actually. Cause I was wondering, you know, where did you shoot it? Was it actually a castle? And of course it was, yeah. you know, that you weren't taking yeah. stock footage from the outside and all this kind of stuff. Absolutely not. The so, funny thing is that we actually also lived in that castle because it has, it has, uh, I believe it's, bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like six, six stories. And then it has like the royalty wing and then it has like the servant wing. And then, you know, the, they've remodeled the whole thing. So, yeah, it was there was plenty of place to stay for everybody. The whole crew pretty much stayed there. Unreal. Yeah, that was great. And I suppose then once you found the location and you knew like, all right, that's a castle. I have to take you up on that. Yes. Was there a consideration then when writing the script and you being a producer and knowing how much it goes in that you actually had to transport yes. the whole cast and crew? Was, was that a consideration then while writing? Yeah, yeah that actually... Yes, that absolutely was a consideration um, because, exactly as you said, I know the the dollar value of of everything because that's my that's my bread and butter. That's how I make a living. So to in, to some degree, but I I really am opposed to writing based on budget alone. So I tried to I tried to stick with story because obviously that's always the most important thing when you're writing a script. But I did have to keep that in mind. Um, so I guess the compromise was. Well, I had beautiful locations, you know, for essentially free. Um, I knew that there were certain things I could find in and around the French countryside. I assumed they would be there. I didn't know they were there for sure, but I, I wrote them in. For example, like the dilapidated hut. I wrote an Irish bar into the story, an Irish pub, which I got a lot of flack from that, <laughs> from a lot of people, because they said, <laughs> they said, why? They said you're shooting in France. Why are you putting an Irish pub in the store? And I said, because they're universal. They're everywhere. There's yeah, we have Irish pubs are. in Bangkok. Uh, the Irish have taken over the world with pubs. It's perfect. <laughs> There's more Irish so, pubs uh, than McDonald's, I'd say. <laughs> I think so. I think I think so. So uh, so, uh, but yeah, definitely. Like you know, obviously, I couldn't I couldn't have things like giant explosions and and uh, you know train rides and airplanes. But I did, I did. You know, there's 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 some there's some great production value in there. There's car accidents. There's some classic vehicles. Uh, there's and and of course the castles and the moats and the giant. You know there was there was a couple of uh, which I didn't know about. There was a couple other castles we did shoot exteriors of. Um, there's a house called um, I think it's called Saigon Saigon uh, that we shot as house branding. It's a it's a medieval castle with a moat and like an entire village built around it really right. insane and there's another one there's another one called uh Opermont, which is a, a medieval uh village also around a cat centered around a castle that's up on a hill so i didn't know those things existed there they i just i i was lucky enough to go there like uh four weeks ahead of time um and i just lived in, i basically got there with the first draft of the script not ha having not seen the place except for the pictures um and spent uh dan and myself spent a month there just going around town going wow this place is great this would be great to put this in the film that would be great to put in the film um and then just talking to the locals and and luckily in rural france that's relatively easy because you know they're not used to 
any types of films coming there. It's very rare that that happens. So the whole communities, you know, sort of got around us, even the mayors at some point. I mean, at one point we had a fire brigade and because we have a car crash scene Uh, and and they all came out and the the entire city came out. You know, we had like 300 extras for free. So, you know, you you can't beat that. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Excellent. No, it sounds absolutely wonderful. Excuse me. I'm glad it actually was a good experience and it worked out. You know, you hear so many horror stories these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. And another part of that is I I sort of, you know, again, leaning on my my producer experience and contacts. So because, again, because this was my chance not to be the understudy, the people in the business in the film business understood that. So everyone was willing to help me because they had known me as a person for 20 years. So they knew that I was creative. They knew that I had wanted to do more than just be behind the scenes and et cetera. So I basically called in all my favors, um, which I couldn't, I believe me, I could not have done the film without them. Um, and as an example, there's a, there's a company in London called Indie Hire that where the guy has, um, you know, he has Ari Alexa's and anamorphic lenses, which I can't even afford those on some studio movies I do, but I got them on my film. Yeah, because and they're like of, half a million or something. Ridiculous. Yeah, they're ridiculous. Yeah. They're like crazy. So, so he, you know, he, we made it, we made a deal and, uh, he heavily discounted them and, and gave me the friends and family plan, as we say, and, and things like that. I could, you know, so that, that helped. And then I could bring, the equipment from London on, uh, you know, in a lorry as opposed to flying it from LA or whatever. So that things like that really helped a lot. Exactly. No, because it does look beautiful. And I will admit, I only got to watch the trailer audience. You should, you should be ashamed <laughs> of me. I was away last week and we had a, a, a really quick turnaround actually from my usual. Uh, it was Chris Barnes put us in touch. Great guy. And uh, nice. Yeah. No, he. What? It does look amazing. I have to watch it this weekend. I was trying to watch it last night, but it, the uh, Valentine's Day <laughs> that it was, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah, get the want, opportunity. <laughs> you don't want to be in the doghouse. And it's not exactly. worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but we are fans of horror in this house, but uh, <laughs> oh, nice. we are preoccupied with a nice romantic meal, so I couldn't, uh, couldn't get time to watch it. never let me get in the way of a man and his romantic meal. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And I That's must great. ask then, how did you get Dean Kane involved? Dean Kane. So, uh, first of all, let me say Dean is a great guy. He is a, he's a super nice guy. Um, I, I worked with Dean on a movie. I want to say it was around 2006, um, in Austin, Texas called, I believe it was called circle of pain. I shot two of them in Austin. One was called circle of pain. One was called Beatdown. We shot them back to back for uh, grindstone stone, uh, Lionsgate. And uh, at that time, Dean had wanted to. He had a. He had uh, something came up, and his agent called me and he said, "Hey, Dean's got this huge offer to do this movie." And I think at that time, people were shooting a lot in Bulgaria or something. Oh and they yes, said, we the really Bulgarian need... Nazis that everyone was doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So, Straight to DVD. So they said, exactly. So they said, "Hey, we need to get Dean out right away," you know, because he was obviously going to make more money and all that stuff. And they were like, "God, really help us." So. Long story short, I I asked the crew. They were down, and we, we got Dean out, you know, like three days earlier, flew him over. So I had worked with him, but, you know, just on a professional level, it's not like we were buddies. It's not like I could call him up and say, hey, Dean, let's go have a beer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was just a prof- professional relationship. So cut to 10 years later, um, 
And as I'm writing the script and that character, he plays Abel Baden, which is uh, sort of a villainous character. If you guys go on YouTube, you can see the trailer. It's also on Facebook. Um, you'll see the, 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 the character Dean plays, um, which is great because he normally plays like these innocent, pretty boy, you know, heroes. So it's complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, so, 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 I, so I'm thinking as I'm writing this character, I just keep seeing Dean in this role. I'm like, God, he's perfect for this. So one of one of the associate producers, a friend of mine uh, named Court Johns is uh, that I've worked with a couple times. It had just worked with Dean, like, you know, on two pictures prior. So I said, Hey man, you mind read, just give me his contact. He's never going to remember me. That was 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, I reach out to Dean and I say, Hey man, I don't know if you remember me. I had, a, I happen to have a picture of him and I uh, on that other set. Cause I took a picture of us 10 years prior yeah. and I sent him the picture and I said, I don't know if you remember me, Dean, but I'm the guy that got you out early and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. And he's like, he's like motherfucker of course i remember you what the hell so <laughs> so uh <laughs> so we went back and forth and he he's super busy man because he flies all over the world here's where you put your superman joke in but um he flies <laughs> he flies <laughs> he flies all around the world i mean he's seriously like you were you were just in san diego and then dublin this guy does this like three times three four times a week he's constantly traveling so he was like i just don't know if i he's like i i definitely am interested i love the script I just don't know if I have the time because of all my other commitments. And I said, dude, I get it. You're a celebrity, obviously. And long story short, it worked out because he has a, uh, I don't know if he wants me to say this, but let's say he knows someone in Ibiza and I think he, or no, he has a home in Ibiza and he knows someone in London. So that means France was sort of central and great for him. And uh, he made it work, man. He just, he just really, he really came through for us, and I am super grateful to him because, obviously, as you know, a lot of independent films, especially with the saturation of independent horror films, uh, they just they just end up on the shelf or in the bin because they don't have any names attached to them, and that's just not you know lucrative to a distributor. Yeah. Because yeah, it may be a great film, but no one's heard of it, so we can't. Whose face are we going to put on the cover of the DVD or whatever? Right. Right. So, so so that's a huge deal to get a name for your film. And, um, and he did it and I'm, I'm grateful. And in fact, uh, let me throw a shameless plug in here. Uh, we're actually in Los Angeles on February 28th, this February 28th, Wednesday, there's a screening of our film, um, the incantation at the Hollywood real independent film festival. And, uh, there's tickets online for that. And I believe Dean said he's going to try to go. So I, I don't, I can't speak for him. I don't know if he will. But he's definitely interested in going. Great. So if anybody's a Dean Dean Kane fan, go see the film, and you might get lucky, and you might be there uh, as well. So what's the date on that now again for everyone? Uh, Wednesday, February twenty eighth in Los Angeles. Uh, it's at ten p.m. So oh, even great. if you have this work coming day, out on the twenty second, can... so people will not miss it. Oh, great. Okay, Super. great. So so they can go see it there, uh, and it's called Hollywood Real Independent. Film Festival H R I F F. They can just look that up. H R I F. If you type H R I F F in Google, it's usually one of the first things to come up, and then you just go to the menu and find Incantation and buy a ticket. Super. Yeah, I'd say we can put the links for our tickets in the show notes if anyone's interested. That'd, be, uh, that'd great. be great. And yeah, you must have definitely called in all your favorites. So getting Dean Kane in, <laughs> getting a castle for free, and, getting a load of extras. Absolutely. 
so everything yeah, kind of landed on your lap yeah equipment absolutely absolutely so yeah yeah and then another thing is yeah go oh for yeah it. sorry go ahead no go i was just gonna say another favor i pulled is um you know valerie valerie mccaffrey was our casting director and she i've known her for probably 15 years and she did like she did american history x is is she did i think she worked for universal casting for ages so she's well known in the industry too so that's kind of how I was say going into getting Sam Valentine our lead because that was thanks to Valerie who was another favorite that I called in. She's a great friend of mine, but I could going to Valerie McCaffrey otherwise as you know Joe Blow is near impossible. She's untouchable, but as a friend, she was like, "Of course, I want your movie to do well. Let's see who we can get for your film," kind of thing. Yeah, perfect. No, it's great to see. All right, because you were saying at the start of our conversation that you you were saying oh you know it's never going to come together but it did yeah. <laughs> that really sounds like a, yeah. a great story oh, of success there that's great absolutely and, and even in france you know when we got to france uh there were a lot of naysayers N- naysayers in the sense that they they all believed it was possible like they or they wanted to believe that it was possible but they all were shaking their heads like this is never going to happen like i remember i remember dan and i got to france and uh there, there was a local fixer there, and we, we showed him the script, and we said, we need two of these Citroen DS2 cars, and uh, we need a crash car, and we need an Irish pub, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, ah, oh, you'll never find that. You'll never find that, and it's impossible. you got to rewrite it. No way. And, yeah. uh, you know, he was just and, – and he wasn't the only one. I mean, there were other people like, there's no way. And then, and then, like I said, it turns out we found a guy – that had one of those cars like four miles away that was willing to let us use it. And then he called his buddy and we used another one of his cars, you know, like yeah. it just, these things sort of started happening. Um, but there was, you know, I definitely got some gray hairs wondering how this was going to get pulled off for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. And no then doubt about that. You were mentioning then that, you know, in the world of horror and there was, you might reckon there's saturation unless you have a face there. Were you ever yes. worried when writing the script that it would just be a forgettable script? Or how did you go about putting your spin on it and your uh, fingerprints? Yeah, you know, I definitely did. I mean, I, I, I have a huge literature background, classic literature, I should say. I, I actually was in the Catholic seminary for a while um, throughout high school and half of college. So they, the teacher-to-student ratio was like 60 students so in 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 all four levels right? right freshman through senior so in other words i had a great education with all the, all the teachers had phd's etc so it was a really concentrated education on literature so i had a good literature background of storytelling i read a bunch of uh joseph campbell books and all that and plus just years being in the business of of filtering out good scripts from bad scripts uh basically so so I had a I had a basis of of what not to do. That doesn't mean I'm going to write a great script, but it no it means that I know to avoid doing some things to write an atrocious script, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so, and and I guess part of it was you know when you do, when you're labeled as a first time director, it's our first creative content for our company, Blue Falcon Productions. It's, everything was a first for us officially, you know, on paper. This was official, so it was our it was our calling card. So, so yeah, we had to make it, we had to make it as good as we could make it for the time, budget resources uh, that we could, but 
we also knew that, you know, we had limitations and this is at some point we have to do it for ourselves, right? We have to, we have to make this a great story. And so at some point I just put the blinders on and I said, okay, I can't think about if it's going to sell tickets in the theater. I can't think about, uh, if it's going to sell merchandising, I, I got to think about the story is most important. So I got to think about what's going to get the audience's attention. How am I going to make it interesting from all the other horror films out there? And, and the other thing is this, this film admittedly is a, is a slow burn. You know, it's not like a, it's not like a, like a crimson peak, a jump, right? Like a crimson peak. Exactly. It's, it's not a jump scare. It's not a, there's a couple of those, but it's not, it's not that gory. It's not, it's not, a slasher film, quote unquote. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a classic horror, slow build, big payoff kind of, kind of feel to it. You know, it's a, it's a, I like to, I like to think of it more as a sort of a thinking film because I don't like to insult the audience either. There's, there's certain films you want to watch and just eat popcorn. You know, when you're watching Transformers Five, you don't give a fuck, right? Yeah, you're just, yeah. you're just like eating popcorn. Boom! There's a building exploded. Great, moving on. You know, but, but there's also like. Like this, the reason I brought up the seminary is because of my theological background and my literature background. I kind of wove those things into the script. I left little crumbs and a, a sort of little rabbit trail of of nods to different literature or or the history of or the occultism or the witchcraft. And I basically took all the religious aspects that I learned in seminary and I flipped them to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I took like the Holy Trinity and all that and I I reversed it and made it sort of occultism. So it's so the so the the film has that sort of you know it sort of goes to that place uh, like the devil worship occultism witchcraft thing starts to rear its head the the more you get into the film basically excellent and then just being having been like a producer and an actor when you finally became a director was it second nature or was there anything you learned Ooh, uh, along the way oh that man, was extra God, I've, it was it was insane and I've learned so much and and this this will. This will tell you because um, I, I've, I've, like I said, I've done a million films. I've worn many hats. I've been in every different position. But being in several at once, especially, particularly acting and directing, is, is a bit nerve-wracking because I don't know if I torture myself that way again. <laughs> um, because when, because because when you're directing, it's I, I equate it to constantly doing a rubik's cube like underwater or something like it's challenging like that because you're you're in addition to all the practical logistical things right there's all those things and and the budget is always rearing its head and logistics like oh do we have food for today do we yeah. have do we get that prop for today uh, what about our location now it's raining outside all that stuff right in addition to that you're concerned about story foremost and then on top of that the shot selection is what really uh, it will drive you insane and keep you up at night as a director because you've pl you've plotted it in your head, you've seen it with your mind's eye, you've taken the time to write it down on paper. You know exactly what you want, but first of all, you have to communicate that to an entire crew. Then you have to get actors. You got to convince actors to portray these characters, and not only that, but they have to bring more dimension to it and and make them not just superficial as written on paper. That's a huge challenge. Then I'm acting myself. Um, and then I'm worried about the edit because it's one thing to see it in my mind. It's another thing. Will it actually play out, you know, 
digitally once it's strung out on a timeline, yeah. which is a question no one can answer until you've seen the proof in the pudding, right? Until the yeah. editor sits down and is like, well, that doesn't fucking work, pal. You need more shots and you're not in France anymore. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so it's like a constant, you know, I, but don't get me wrong. I love it. I love the process. I do want to direct. If I had a choice right now and all the acting and, writing and the producing and directing i would definitely pick directing if if i could only pick one to go forward it would definitely be directing um it's such a great feeling such a great payoff you really get to flex your creative muscle um the collaboration is great the 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 act of you know taking professionals getting professional opinions but still leaving enough room for you to sort of keeping with your vision and and you always have veto power which is great you know it's not it's not a an egotistical thing it's it's more of thank you for that great advice but i kind of see it a little differently i'm gonna stick with my original idea because this is my film but on your film i definitely i'll give the opinion you pick what you want you know but like i said that's what i've been doing for 20 plus years yeah so this was my chance to be literally in the director's seat right and then just to wrap it around from what you were mentioning earlier do you think then given that trials and tribulations that directors do deserve all the credit uh, I don't think they deserve all the credit. I, I think I, I, you know, um, I, I say no because I definitely their vision is there and definitely I am a big fan of a singular vision as much as I love, uh, collaboration. I, I, I think it's important that whoever is the director has, has the final say over thing. Um, so, but, but it really bothers me when people are like, a film by da da da. You know, right, I right. I under I totally understand it because believe me, they put in more work than anybody because they're in they're in it from conception to the very end, and they have to supervise it. So I get it. I totally understand it. But it's to me, it sounds like such a dick measuring thing, you know, to say like this is a film by that's that undermines the like you said thousand other people that put work into it. So I, I guess I'm fifty fifty. Yes, I think it should be. I think I think the mere fact that it says directed by is enough. It's enough proof in the pudding. If yeah. it, if it's great or if it sucks or it's mediocre or it's or either way it's your vision, and that 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 title director is enough to do that. You don't have to go around saying this is my fucking film. And I and I do that. I I make that mistake. I, I've been corrected when I say, you know, guys, go see my film. My film is great. Oh, my film, my film. And people are like, that's our film. You know, we, yeah. we're not the only guy that we're. And I and I, I say, you're right. You know, it's our film. This is our film. And and uh, but I I'll tell you, man. I felt uh, I I I'm a sensitive guy, anyways. But I I really felt the love. You know, like the collaboration with the, with the other people. Like it's such a respectful thing when somebody comes to you and says. Hey, look at this! Here, look at this awesome idea I have, or look at this uh, vast array of resource I can give you. But, you know, you do what you want with it because we respect you enough. It's your it's your vision, and yeah. to have someone say that to you is like one of the biggest compliments that you could ever get. You know, to, I, in my opinion. No, I, definitely. When someone kind of is putting their trust in you, really, is one of life's uh, great goals, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. And 100%. then having been a producer for 20 years and then being a director, pulling yourself back objectively, how do you feel about the finished product now? 
Uh, I'm I'm very proud of it. Don't get me wrong. I know it has its flaws um, because of budget and whatnot, but but I'm super proud of it. I've I've watched the film. I don't know a uh, hundred times maybe between the edits and the you know I've, i have to watch it every time for a different pass for whatever sound or music or lighting or whatever i'm very proud of it and and i believe dan my uh, producing partner is as well because of the limited resources we had because of it's our first time officially on paper because of the fact of all the people that that helped us uh when i watch it i just can't i can't help but see those things and and no amount of criticism we we've had about i think maybe 10 reviews and probably probably seven of them were great one was mediocre and two are like this is the worst piece of shit i've ever seen <laughs> standard yeah and, yeah so i so but that's fine with me because one i'm not here to force my uh, aesthetic on you and, and i know some people won't like it and i know some people can't stand the slow burn horror film too um so I, I hold that against nobody. But when I look at it, I think, man, this was a great accomplishment. It's a beautiful film. The story, you know, it, it, it does its arc. It sets up a, a sequel. It, it hits all the notes. To me, I'm very proud of it. Great. And then you said you were mentioning briefly, you slipped it in, that you had a small role there. And we were joking uh, a little bit of back and forth that you look like Rasputin. <laughs> What, <laughs> yeah, what, what kind of influence for your character did you actually have in your mind? Well, you know, I mean, again, back to that. If you go back to those Hammer films, they always got like the creepy, uh, you know, Christopher Lee always played, or, and Peter Cushing, but Christopher Lee always played this role in a lot of the Hammer films. But he's like the, you know, the lord of the domain. So in, in my particular instance, um, I named the castle Castle Borley because there's this whole I don't know if it's folklore or what. Uh, I'd have to research it again. But there's this thing about Borley's Grove or something. You could probably find it online where there allegedly there's this haunted place where a vicar, which for those of us who don't know in the states maybe is a priest because we we never say vicar in the states, so it's like a priest. Yeah. Um, had an affair with a nun, and they had a baby, and then you know somebody got killed and then the ghost haunt this this uh place so i i heard of this sort of uh wives tale story over the years and i always liked that now on top of that um i i have long hair i did have really long hair at the time i had i was growing my beard out because when i'm shooting a movie i don't have time to shave yeah. and i shot like three back to back that year so i i just kept growing it out because i i never have time to shave when i'm when i'm shooting so so i already had long hair i had a long beard you know, everyone already says I look pretty creepy anyways. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had that going for me. Um, I needed this character, and it was a, a pretty main character. And I knew I, I was confident enough in my own act, acting ability that I could I should fill a role. Again, going back to budget, right? It's yeah. better. Why should I fly someone over there, house them, teach them the role? Why not just put a role for myself? So that definitely played. I knew I, I was going to have a role in the film as an actor. So this 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 character was needed i knew i could do it um so i i took all my memories of 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 uh all my memories being in the seminary of what it was like what the priests looked like and i put it like a severe gothic twist on it and the result is me as Presbyterian, basically <laughs> <laughs> no it did look very orthodox um priest yeah 
It's very good. Yeah, totally. I uh, I I got I probably get the guy in trouble, but uh, but in in the seminary, obviously, I'm still friends with all my ex-seminarians and the priests and all because I spent six or seven years there, and, so, and we have a lifelong bond. But uh, so I asked one of them. That's how I got the uh, the priest outfit. Was I asked a, a guy to borrow his, and he was like, "Are you gonna?" He's like, "Don't say anything bad about the priest, and don't say anything bad about the Catholic Church." And I'm like, "Well." You'll see. <laughs> I was like, just let me borrow it. And we'll just we'll just pretend it didn't happen. He's like, okay. And so that's how I got the uh, authentic priest outfit as well. Right. Jeez, all the favors. <laughs> I know all of them, man. I pulled them all. <laughs> Great. And then, what is the plan for the movie? You were looking at distributors. You briefly mentioned. Uh, is, yes. Are you looking to make your money back to an extent on it, or is it just out there? Yeah, yeah. As your baby. <laughs> No, no, we're definitely uh, we're definitely hoping to at least make the money back. Uh, we're actually in a deal. We're 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 moments away from signing a distribution deal. Um, there's been lots of interest in North America for the film from distributors. So that that you know lawyers go back and forth and do their thing. So that's almost done, and we'll announce that soon. Um, they're talking about a July 31st release or an August 31st release across whichever platform so that'll obviously be digital um so you know kind of like your netflix amazon itunes stuff um in the meantime we are doing the festival circuit as i mentioned we got into a couple the hollywood real independent one is the one that's currently uh going on and then after that uh we'll see what happens we still have we still own worldwide rights so yeah if there happens to be a worldwide distributor interested, give us a call because uh, we're holding on to those for now. Yeah, um, guys, if you're listening out there, you want to distribute, get on to Jude. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You can all, we can also in the film business, interestingly enough, you can sell to different territories, you know. So and UK is actually a big territory. So it sometimes it, you make more money selling to individual territories. Sometimes you make a better deal just selling to the world. But right now we're only doing North America. And we're going to see how it goes from there. Great. And just then, you've wrapped it up. It's done. You said you were kind of looking at that in 2016. What is on the yep. horizon for yourself then? Well, for me, I mean, of course, I always have the, uh, you know, my, how I make a living of being a producer. That That's always there. And I get, I get a lot of people asking me to help them. And it's getting to be a busy season. March is traditionally busy in the States. Um so that that'll keep me busy for a while. But for me, for for my particular career, writing and directing, um, I am I'm just trying to get the next thing out there. I I've like I said, I've written about seven scripts. I have one that's also a horror genre that I really love, called The Unhallowed Horseman, which is basically a contemporary take on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by uh, Washington Irving. But it's a it's a new take that I haven't seen done. I know Fox has a TV show and I know there's been a million movies and Tim Burton, who I'm a huge fan of did a great rendition of sleepy hollow, but this is a new extremely unseen before version. And it's got, uh, you know, we, we have coverage done in the business, which is when someone reads your script and gives you a grade like in school. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I've had, I've had coverage done by three different houses and it's got a plus plus by all of them. So, um, I think it's a very commercially viable script and it'd be really fun to make. And I wrote that uh, another crazy story, just like the incantation. I wrote that having not seen the town 
that it takes place in. And then later I went, I went to Sleepy Hollow, New York, which is formerly Terrytown, New York. Um, and, and everything was exactly as in my script and it, I was blown away by it because I hadn't visited there and it felt like home. So I was like, I don't know if I got some crazy muse that follows me around and says, Hey, write this story and then go check out this place or not. But, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that'll get made, uh, or some other scripts that I have plenty or, you know, I'm a gun for hire. So right. if somebody wants to hire me as a director, I'd love to do that as well. Excellent. And you just <laughs> touched on there very briefly that it was it's a very commercial script. Are you always looking yes. to sell a commercial script and not just like a wacky vision like um, Italian horror or something like that? Are you always looking yeah, to yeah. have some sort of commercial spin? Well, I think I think that's, you know, Dan and I have talked about this a lot as far as the success or failure of, of our business. And I think... The key to that is, I mentioned I'm a Tim Burton fan. The key to that is you do have to sell your soul a little bit and do some studio or some commercially viable stuff. Yeah. So the, I think that the formula is, you know, you do two or three of those to pay the bills or to keep your name relevant to the mainstream. And then you do a passion project, right? You do yeah. something that you don't give a fuck if the world likes it or not, but you need to tell this story. You need to show it as it needs to be shown, right? Yeah. So I think you have to... It's probably, you know, eighty percent, twenty percent, just because that's the way of the world. If you did, if you did passion projects all the time, you'd probably end up being James Franco or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a there's a rare person that pulls that off, but it's very hard to do in our business because you have to be relevant. And, and of course, money is the bottom line, so commercial slant. But to me, yeah, if I do have commercial success someday, I'm definitely always saving uh you know like tim burton as i was mentioning you do alice in wonderland you do dumbo and then you throw dark shadows in there because you want to do dark shadows you know yeah. that's just the way yeah that's the way you do it in my opinion exactly <laughs> no and and then i guess i can't remember my question now <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> no um no i was just gonna say yeah was it ever daunting like was it a conscious decision not to start with a short film and to go straight for the feature yeah, it was for me, and I'll tell you why. Um, and this is and this is to take nothing away from anyone, but they're, you know, typically when, for example, when someone's in in film school, uh, they push to do a short. They get all their friends together and they, they push to do a short, uh, and they borrow equipment from the school and all that kind of thing. They they do the same thing I did, but on a smaller scale. And and to me, that's great. Except except I'm not at that point in my career, and I don't feel that. I didn't feel that a short film was going to do me any justice because first of all, you know, I'm in my forties. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get out there and show what I can do now. Yeah. Um, and a short film is not necessarily going to be seen by as many eyes as a, as a, as a major uh, feature film. Right. And then I just, I took a leap of faith. Honestly, I, I knew with the people I knew and the connections I had and the, the favors I was going to have to pull in that come hell or high water. I mean, believe me, you know, I, I spent every dime I had my credit, my credit sunk, you know, by like 200 points in a matter of two months, but that's what you got to do. Like you, it's, it's the Kevin Smith way to do things. It's the, uh, Robert Rodriguez way to do things. Even Quentin Tar Tarantino, when he did Reservoir Dogs, you know, had no money. It's just, yeah. you, you got to do it because the proof is in the pudding. And I just felt, I didn't feel that a short was the right medium for me. That, that Again, that's not to take anything away from anyone that does shorts because some of them are fantastic. Yeah. But I felt for me, I needed to do I needed to, to do something a little bit bigger scale. 
Super. Now, I'd say we could nearly start uh, winding down a little bit now. But, uh, sure. Jude, it was great talking with you. We're running a little bit out of time because I have to get to the office. Just with, our, <laughs> just with our scheduling, it was just the way it fell. I'd love to talk to you more because fascinating chat and just yes. the story of the castle alone had me mesmerized. <laughs> oh, awesome. I've, I really had fun. I'd love to come back and talk to you guys some more. Excellent. And dude, where could we find you online if people wanted to reach out and have an interaction with you? Uh, they could check me out on Twitter at Jude S. Walco. Um, my company is on Facebook, Blue Falcon Productions, and Twitter, Twitter Blue Falcon Productions. And the incantation is also on Facebook. Uh, just look us up there and um, check out our trailer on YouTube and Facebook. Excellent stuff. Well, Jude, thank you very much again for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you, and uh, I hope that we'll talk again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity, and thank you to your audience and your fans as well. Perfect. Well, you enjoy the rest of your Bangkok day, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. And that, everybody, was my chat with Jude. Hope you enjoyed it, as always. And everything for Jude will be in the show notes. And if you're around LA in the next couple of days, definitely try and check it out before the release later this year. And if you'd like to support the show, as always, I would ask you just to leave a review, a comment, suggest to a friend about the show, get the numbers growing. We're just about to hit 5,000 downloads, another milestone and a great start to the year so far, everyone. So, you can always catch me at the fair merchant fairmerchant.com if you want to send me an email suggestion anything like that fairmerchant at gmail.com so until next time be safe be merry and i'll see you in the next episode i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye